welcome home. There's always room for one more. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, how many of you like change? You just decide you're going to, I know Jonathan does, very, very much so. Uh, many of you probably go home at least once a week and think about how you can change the furniture in your living room, rearrange it, you know, throw out your whole wardrobe and get a new one, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, change is, change is weird. Uh, but in a lot of ways for our community this summer, change has been a, a good thing. And I'm very, very thankful. Uh, I was thinking this week, uh, it's been uh, almost 10 years to the day that I stepped foot on Southwestern Adventist University's campus as a freshman, a college freshman. And that, that struck me this week. I, it's fuzzy in uh, my memory exactly what day that was, but it was distinct in my mind because it marked a transition for my family and I. And then I think about fast forward 10 years later, 10 years looks pretty good on me, yeah? No? Okay. Uh, to think about where God has led in those 10 years, uh, how he's led our community, and how he's led me personally. And I'm very thankful to have the opportunity to steward the office of senior pastor of this church. And uh, I will let you know today, Elevate is very near and dear to me. And I will not leave this community high and dry still here. I'm still around. It's like weird to talk about me leaving, but I'm not. Uh, we've laughed about it in our lead team meetings, and we've cried about it some more than others, including myself. Uh, but I'm excited for the opportunities that God is going to be bringing for this community. Uh, we're inching closer on our search process. Hopefully, we'll be able to bring someone in soon that you'll be able to get to know. We interview and, uh, uh, and kind of move forward uh, as God has been leading. This morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 33. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Our engaged question for you to think about today as we dive into Scripture is this. Would God ever change his mind? Would God ever change his mind? Sometimes we say, I sure hope God doesn't change his mind. And then other times we're like, God, would you just... For a moment, maybe, would you relent? Could you change your mind? That's the question we're going to be engaging with this morning. Exodus chapter 33, hopefully you're there. It'll be on the screens as well. Let's bow our heads one more time for a word of prayer and ask God's presence into this space. God, thank you. Thank you because you're good and because you're faithful. And as we seek your presence this morning, would you sit down beside us as you so often do? As we've been doing this summer, as we've been introduced to Jesus, God, today, would you do it again? Would we hear a word from on high? That's a blessing for our souls. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've felt like I've been doing things by myself. Any ministry leaders relate? No, we're not going to take a poll this morning. Sometimes you find yourself just kind of out on your own. I, one of those times for me, you know, growing up, my dad was really good about, I had a bank account at like the age of six or something like that. The local credit union, you could have a little kid's bank account that I put a little pocket change in and I learned that really young. And I remember getting my first debit card and credit card. And my dad sitting me down and talking to me about those things. And I remember, you know, beginning to go make your, your, your first purchases. And you go, I don't know about you, but oftentimes if I'm calling someone for the first time or just engaging in a new activity, I'm going in through in my head uh, how that conversation is going to play out. I'm practicing the things that I'm going to say. Okay, I'm going to walk into the store. I'm going to go get this thing. And then I'm going to get that thing. Maybe going to go look over here. And then I'm going to go to the cashier and I'm going to check out. And I remember the first time kind of purchasing things on my own, that feeling really good until I realized that that was connected to my bank account 
And all of a sudden, spending my money wasn't as fun as spending somebody else's money. Anybody relate with that? Another one that sticks out in my mind is the, the first time that I really drove by myself in a family vehicle. Now, some of you, as soon as you got the keys, you're like, see ya, and you never looked back. Me, it was a little, a little bit more nerve-wracking. And I remember uh, getting up one morning, and my, my dad would be the one to take me to school. And that morning, he asked me, he says, hey, do you have your driver's license? And I said, yeah, I do. And he tosses me the keys, and he says, you're getting us to school this morning. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're going to do it together. So I hop in, turn it on, back it out of the garage, and we would listen to radio, sports talk radio, Christian music or whatnot. And uh, for some reason, the, the music or the talk, I don't remember what the station was, but I couldn't see because the radio was too loud. Anybody relate? You're, you're going through an area that you can't, uh, that you've never been before, and the GPS is trying to give you directions, and you're like, turn the radio down, I can't see the next turn. Like, uh, I don't know. But turn the radio off and drive to school, and I felt for the first time that I was by myself. Yeah, my dad was in the, the seat next to me, but there's no uh, brake on that passenger side. I bet he hoped that there was a brake on that side. <laughs> Please, would you stop doing it? Ah, okay. But it felt for the first time that I was kind of on my own. It was under my own power that I would be able to get us from from home to school. And it's that feeling right there, that one that you might be feeling yourself, that finds us in Exodus chapter 33, and we'll begin in verse 1. Put it up on the screen for you. The Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you, brought, uh, the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants. In verse 2. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Say that five times fast. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. Hmm. For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. Wouldn't you like that on your resume? You are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, God's saying, if I traveled with you, I would surely destroy you along the way. The children of Israel are on their own. They've been wandering around the desert, and you remember the story. Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, and there's a disturbance in the camp. The people probably think Moses has died on the top of the mountain. They're leaderless. They feel that God has left them, and they go to Aaron, the high priest, say, could, you do, could we do something? And he says, I've got an idea. Let's make a golden calf. And they put all their jewelry and everything together, and they, they, they melt it all down, and they form it together, and the golden calf rises up. And the people begin to worship the golden calf. And God is with Moses on the mountain. He says, Moses, you need to go down. And that picture of Moses coming down before the people, seeing that they had committed idolatry before God and crushing the stone tablets that he had just received, the word of God. The children of Israel aren't in a great position with God. He's really, really frustrated. And to the point in Exodus 32, that God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I'm going to wipe out the children of Israel and I'm going to start over with you. I'll make you the son of promise and I'll birth a nation out of you. And Moses responds back, not so quick. What will the nation say about the character of God if you start over with me? So if you're going to blot anybody's name out of the book of life, blot my name out, but don't blot the nation of Israel out. Moses was an incredible leader. God says, God relents. He changes his mind. He says, okay, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back my hand for just a moment. But this promised land that's in front of you, I'm going to set it up so you can make it. You can go right into the promised land. You can coast right on in there. I'll make the way smooth before you. But I am not going to go with you. Hmm. And the children of Israel react. Exodus 33 verse 4. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. Verse 5. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. And verse 6. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. God speaks to the children of Israel and they listen and it causes something inside of them to repent and to say, oh boy, we messed up and we gotta do something about that. The question that comes to my mind as I was studying this passage this week is what would stop us in our tracks? If God were to show up and say, I'm frustrated with this in your life, you've been holding on to this too much in replace of me, what would stop us in our tracks? Or are we so confident that the direction that we're heading, the the one that we feel God is blessing us in, is the way that we should go and nothing would really take us off track? And a further question, what if that land beyond, that, that dream or that vision, that promotion, that bigger paycheck, that better school is so good that we would accept it without God being present there? Will we look for the blessing? This obstinate people, though they were, the children of Israel knew well that the promised land, devoid of the promised keeper, is worthless. They have the opportunity to just fly into the promised land and things will, things, everything's just going to be okay. But they realize in that moment that the real promise comes from God and is not from the land. So what's your promised land? What might be right in front of you, just across the Jordan River, just in arm's reach, that you see, ah, it's a blessing of God. That's something that could come. But if you were to cross, you go without God. For the children of Israel, if it meant God was with them, they would rather stay under the hand of divine chastisement than risk leaving the divine presence. Maybe our promised lands are not places or times or locations, but they are wherever God is. I like how Heather Thompson Day puts it in the book, It's Not Your Turn, page 46. What if the promise of God is the presence of God? And what if the promised land is where God is, even if it's a desert? The children of Israel decide that they are better off in the desert with God than in the promised land without God. And let that sink in for a moment. Exodus 33, 7 through 11, we don't have time to dig deep in, but it summarizes Moses' practice of leaving the, the, the camp of the children of Israel and setting up a tent of meeting outside of the camp. And it was the place before the big tabernacle with all the, the gold and shimmers and everything else on it. Before that was set up, this is the place that God would meet with Moses and Moses would meet with God. And think about the imagery of Moses packing that tent on his back and walking out of the camp of Israel to meet with God. God's presence is no longer with the children of Israel. Moses must be outside of the camp in order to meet with God. But all is not lost. Moses 
comes before God and he pleads with God. Exodus 33, verse 12. One day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me with whom you will be sending with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. Verse 13, if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your very own people. Moses comes before God and he says, hey, okay, homie, you told me that we could talk straight like this. Calling on your honor here, you told me that I was favorable in your sight. I'm known my name, so I have a petition. Let me know how we're going into the promised land and let me know who's going with us. Moses knew something very important that I think it's important for us to know today. And perhaps we have a little bit of an understanding with it coming through the COVID-19 pandemic. Essential workers, maybe you were one or maybe you weren't one and wished you were or you weren't, you know, some of us maybe were deemed not worthy of the essential status and you lost a job in the past couple of years. And those on the news were heralded as you are essential to our community, therefore you have a job. Moses knew in this very moment as his request is going before God, God's presence is essential. Says there's no other way that we make it into the promised land. You haven't told me who's going with us, so let's talk. A presence of someone is essential, and we'll come to find out in a moment that Moses thinks it's God's presence that's essential. I think far too often we set up our plans, a ministry, a career path, or goals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, without seeking God's presence. Sure, we'll seek God's blessing, right? We'll pray over our plans and say, Lord, would you bless these plans? Would you bless everything that we the people of God had put together, but we never enter into the presence of God to see where he would go in the first place. For Moses, the presence of God is essential. And God replies in verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with who? You. He's speaking to Moses. You, Moses, I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. God singles Moses out in the second person, singular pronoun, you. I'm going to go with you, Moses. That's not good enough for Moses. Verse 15 and verse 16. Moses said, if you don't personally go with who? Us. In the face of being able to go into the promised land with the presence of God, Moses says, it's not good enough that you just abide with me. You need to abide with us. Don't make us leave this place, God, if your presence does not go with us. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The presence of God is not only felt by us, but it's visible to the community around us. God's presence is visible. And Moses calls on God and he says, hold up. We're the people of God under the name of God and for us to go into the promised land without your name or your presence, how will people know of who you are? How will the the community around us perceive us? Your presence goes before us and is visible. We, the people of God, carry the presence of God. And on a further note, are we satisfied with the blessings of God? 
just falling on, on us or these four walls? Are we, are we content that it would just fall, the blessings of God would fall on me? Or are we zealous for the people around us that God, if you're going to bless, bless our community. Don't just bless me. Bless those around us with your presence. Ellen White puts it this way, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 328. I like how she says, no earthly power or skill or learning can supply the place of God's abiding presence. You can try your hardest in this life to receive salvation from God, to earn salvation from God. You can try your hardest to set up that ladder that you're trying to climb or to make sure that that whatever account that's earning some interest, like that's going to be set up, you're going to be set for life. All of those things, you can try your hardest, but nothing that you will ever do can supply the place of God being present in your life. For Moses, it was a non-negotiable. God, you either go with us into the promised land or we're staying right here in the desert. And here's how God replies, Exodus 33, verse 17. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. God changes his mind. He says, all right, you've done exactly what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to seek after my presence. And next week, we're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 34, where, where Moses comes into God's presence. He asks to see God's glory, and God shows him his goodness, and we're going to explore that this next week. But I want to linger here for just a moment. What is the presence of God to you? And are you willing to take a step forward without the presence of God, if it meant success, if it meant money, if it meant fame, to get all of that, but to do it without the presence of God? Jesus said that's like gaining the whole world but losing your own soul. So what's important? Heather Thompson Day continues in the book, It's Not Your Turn. She puts it this way, the best part of God is not whether or not he blesses me, it's God. It's knowing that feast or famine, we get to set the table for two. Rather than the blessings being determined by God's presence, I now believe God's presence is the blessing. What would you like? The vending machine where you can pull a blessing out? Or would you like a person who's by your side that their very presence brings the blessing? That's what Moses cried out for with the children of Israel. And I think it's something that we would do well to consider today. And this point in particular uh, became uh, kind of vivid in my mind. Last week, Melissa and I had the chance to go to Glacier National Park. Now, picture this in your mind. Melissa's seven months pregnant. We're meeting up with some friends that have a two-year-old and a two-and-a-half-month-old. Uh, two and we're all in tents. Tent camping. Yeah, I heard the groan. We were intense, and it was intense. You get it, right? So just picture that in your mind as I'm describing this story. And we had some plans for the week. Of my, my buddy's really into birds. He really likes birding, and I am really up for adventure. I'll, I'll appreciate birds. It's not something I'm going to go and study, uh, but it's something Darwin and I talk about it quite a bit. Birds are really cool when I have a guide to kind of help me out about that. And one of the hikes that we went on was this pretty intense 10-mile round trip, 2,000 feet of elevation, and Melissa was like the one out in front. No, 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 no. She and uh, our, our, our friend, they, they, they took the kids, and me and my buddy, we headed up the mountain. And I remember getting up to the top of the mountain, and it was great, and it was fantastic. We got to find the bird that we were looking for. If you're curious, it was a white-tailed ptarmigan. They're very, very ugly birds because they hide in rocks. 
Uh, but once you get there and then you're part of it, like it, 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 turns into, it turns into beauty. But we're there and up on top of the mountain and we had achieved what we had wanted to. And it's me and my friend and the guide and we're, we're excited. But I didn't get to share that excitement with the person I truly love until I got back down off of the mountain. And that stuck in my mind that though that, that hike was amazing, it was a lot of fun, I would have appreciated doing it with my wife more than without her. So for the next couple days, and this was, this was all plans. It wasn't like, oh, like, aha, revelation. Like, it, it worked out. But in the coming days, we got to travel through the park. And if you ever want to go to, like, heaven on earth, like a micro Eden, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. I just, that's, Texas is hot and sticky. I don't need to tell you. We don't, we've belabored the heat this summer enough, right? Will it relent? Maybe. If you ever get a chance to go to Glacier, enjoy it. And there's some hikes that aren't as elevated and ones that are a little bit shorter that are perfect for young families and for pregnant women. And let me tell you, I enjoyed those hikes more than I did the one up on top of a mountain looking at white-tailed ptarmigan because I was with the person I loved. She was in my presence and I was in her presence. You can achieve everything in life that you've ever dreamed of. Have the biggest bank account known to man. Be the next Bill Gates. Jeff Bezos, whoever. But if you don't go with God, if God doesn't go with you, then everything is lost because you see God's presence is the blessing. So wherever we had in Elevate, wherever we had in Keen Church, we can lay our plans out and say, God, will you bless them? I would rather take a step back and as a community, seek the presence of God. We do that week in and week out in this space. We call it church. Just disguise it a little bit, convince you to come. We're seeking the presence of God here in this space. So I invite you corporately and personally to be in the presence of God. There is no better place to be. The promised land without God is worse than the desert with God. And the desert with God is better than any promised land that the world could put out in front of you. It's my invitation for you this morning in this summer of transition as we seek God together. Let's go on a journey and let's seek the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there's blessings to be found. And when we are in the presence of God, God takes care of everything else. In your life and in mine, God's presence is the blessing.